Good to open God's Word afresh with you this morning. We're um, continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians. We're um, continuing in our chapter 6. So turn with me, please, and let's consider God's instructions for care of our bodies. That's our message title this morning, God's Instructions for Care of the Body. And um, we'll, we'll begin with a familiar um, Psalm 139.14, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made as we, um, as we go through our, um, our message this morning. That, um, that will kind of set the tone for us, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. What is the most complex and genius thing in the universe? A strong case can be made for it being the human body. Our bodies are composed of amazingly complex organs like the eye, the kidney, and the liver, and the brain itself makes the most advanced computer look like a toy. So let's pray. We come before you in the name of Jesus to um, hear your message for today. Lord, we pray that you'd speak through the speaker and uh, open the eyes and the hearts of the hearers that we might be all changed people as, um, as a result of applying your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'd like to think of um, unhelpful activities Things that are legitimate, they're lawful for me, but they, um, they're not helpful. These are things that um, Paul excluded, those sins in the, in the previous verses that we, uh, we investigated last week. We're, um, we're talking about permitted things, allowed things. And among those would be um, drinking wine at dinner with... Um, with friends who have problems with alcohol, all right? It's lawful, I mean, I can, I can drink wine with dinner, but it's not helpful. It's not helping those with whom I'm eating dinner. Or what about serving pork or beef to, uh, to a believer who has strong convictions against, uh, against eating that kind of meat? I was um, driving down the street with a brother from overseas and uh, I said, uh, let's stop and um, get some sodas and we'll take them to the house because I, I don't have anything to offer you. And he seemed surprised that I would offer, that I would suggest that. And uh, he, he said, not on Sunday. Uh, we don't shop on Sunday. And so did I drag him through the, uh, the Target or the Walmart to prove my point? No, I said, all right, we'll go to the house then and enjoy uh, time there. So there are lawful things that are not helpful, and we need to be sensitive to those. There are lawful things, but Paul says, I will not be brought under their power. Believers complain of dependence on caffeine. They say, I've had too much. They say, I've had too little, but um, I'm under its dominion. And this interferes with uh, his testimony for the Lord and ultimately with his communion 
with the Lord, but I believe that the Lord makes allowance for prescription medications. Those are, uh, those are helpful. Some may wish for more scripture on care about the body. The remainder of this chapter deals with that, the Lord's instructions. And in fact, there are nine references to the body in eight chapters. We'll title the remainder of our study this morning, Seven Reasons for Sexual Purity. Seven Reasons for Sexual Purity. Um, for, let's read. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you, have been, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. First reason for sexual purity is God's purpose in creation. God has a purpose for each one of us for each of our bodies. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I think the King James says an expected end. I have that in mind for you. I have that planned for you. Foods can be received by the stomach. They're good tasting. They're nourishing. And the stomach was designed to digest an amazing variety of foods. But God will destroy both in a coming day. It speaks of the brevity of life. Even 80 years, 90 years on the earth can seem pretty short. We should not live for food as, they have, as food has only temporary value. Bill McDonald Bill McDonald says in his commentary, don't live as if the greatest thing in life is to gratify your appetites. Paul goes on to say the body is not for sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is sexual intercourse with one who is not your marriage partner. Men, it means sex with someone who's not your wife. Ladies, it means sexual intercourse with someone who's not your husband. God created sexuality with definite goals. First, the procreation and the continuation of human life. It's amazing that each of us was brought to physical life through 
the union of a father and mother. Second, God created uh, sexuality for enjoyment, for pleasure. He's, um, uh, he's an amazing God, and he has that as part of his plan for, uh, for the body. We could list others, but nowhere on that list is sexual immorality. It's not part of God's plan. I have an illustration for us. A punch bowl. What is the purpose of a punch bowl? What, Carlene? Oh, I'm sorry. I made a joke to her. I said to put flowers in it. Okay. Yeah, we could put flowers in it. Yes, Eliana. Yeah, we put liquids, a special liquid punch. For what? To drink at parties, okay? We're going to have a big party this afternoon. May I, between parties, use this bowl as a dirty motor oil pan for my car? I promise I'll, I'll wash it. I'll run it through the dishwasher twice. Can I use it? No. Why not? It's contrary to the purpose of the punch bowl, it's supposed to be clean, it's supposed to be uh, handle food, not used motor oil. Well, uh, Joey's not here, but what if, uh, what if I wanted to make a nice terrarium, uh, I mean pretty, uh, with salamanders and maybe a couple lizards in there, and when I'm through, I'll, I'll wash it and uh, return it to the, to the chapel cupboard. That's not going to fly either. Or what about um, uh, I'm mopping the floor and, okay, that's bad. We, we won't go there. But you see, you see how contrary that is to the purpose for which that bowl was designed. Imagine God's response when he sees one of his followers engaging in sexual immorality. That's not his design. That's not his purpose for the body. The body is not for sexual immorality. I wonder, by, by means of application, if you would print that verse, that portion of the verse out, in nice large type, and uh, paste that to your TV. Paste that right under your TV for a week and gauge your viewing by... The, the, by the words of this scripture, the, the body is not for sexual immorality. Test your viewing by, um, by what God says in his word. Let me, know, uh, let me know the results. But the body is for the Lord. God's desire for us is our sanctification, our being set apart. For this is the will of God 
your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. And uh, verse uh, Romans 12, 1, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is something that, um, that is well within our capacity in Christ. It's, uh, it's a reasonable service to present these bodies a living sacrifice to him. We find a scriptural illustration back in Daniel, Daniel 5. The um, temple had been ravaged by, um, by invaders, and the contents of the temple were, were taken to, uh, to Babylon. And they had a, a big party. Uh, Belshazzar was, um, was uh, king, and he was hosting a big party. And he asked, he directed that, um, that these temple, um, these implements that we had gathered from, from Jerusalem, from the temple, bring those. We're going to drink out of those. Gold uh, uh, cups. And um, they, were, they were for exclusive use in the temple. God had set those aside, um, really enjoyed the, um, uh, the worship meeting this morning and how things were holy, how things were set apart. And uh, these, um, these were part of the temple, and before that, part of the tabernacle. So there, were, there was a tribe that was tasked with transporting these items, there was a family within the tribe who had responsibility for them. And I imagine that uh, as the tabernacle was ready to move, they would take, uh, this, this family would take these items and they would carefully package them, fold them, and uh, uh, hold them in a very special way because they were exclusively for the, for the Lord's service. That was their one purpose. And now Belshazzar uh, gathers his, um, his uh, drunken party, and um, he, uh, let's read in five, uh, Daniel 5 um, and verse 2. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. Then they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Uncircumcised lips drank intoxicating toasts to heathen idols with these vessels. And it was at that point, for that reason, that God judged Belshazzar 
for that uh, simple offense, that um, uh, he, he judged him, he condemned him, and he killed uh, Belshazzar. It illustrates the misuse of God-dedicated resources. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. It's an amazing thing that the Lord is uh, committed to providing all the nourishment, the shelter, uh, the warmth that we need. The Lord Jesus told his disciples, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6. The clothing and feeding of his child and treasure is a charge that he uh, himself has laid, that on himself he laid. The first reason for sexual purity is that um, purpose that God had in creation. God has a second purpose, and it is future. In a coming day, God will raise up my body just as he did his son's. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ is risen from the dead and has become firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Afterwards, those who are Christ's at his coming will be raised also. The dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. God has his definite purpose for my body during my life on earth. He has a purpose for it throughout the balance of eternity. A glorified body, but it is a changed original earthly body. Do I protect and care for this earthly body as something the Lord will raise up and transform for his eternal purposes as he did his sons? The Lord has a future purpose for this body. The third reason is the, um, for lack of a better term, the incongruity, that is the improperness of the members of Christ joining to a harlot. The believer's body is a member of Christ. That's, um, that's a, a, an amazing truth, but a truth nonetheless. nonetheless. Paul wrote letter, uh, later in this epistle, he said, You are the body of Christ and members individually. He told the Ephesians, We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Membership in Christ is not figurative. It is literal. We can't see it, but believers are joined to him physically, and as we'll read in verse 17, spiritually we are joined to Christ. We are members of his body. There is a oneness with Christ that he talks, that, he, um, that the Lord prays in John 17. It speaks of intimacy and vitality with him. The hymn writer wrote, so near, so very near to God, I cannot nearer be, yet in the person of his Son I am as near as he. So dear, so very dear to God, more dear I cannot be, the love 
wherewith he loves the Son, such is his love to me. So shall I take a uh, shall I take this member and make them members of a harlot? Matthew Henry asked the question. He said, "Now shall one in so close a union with Christ be uh, as to be one spirit with Him be so united to a harlot as to become one flesh with her? Isn't this a vile attempt to make a union between Christ and harlots? And can the and can he offer a greater indignity? It's a grinding of gears trying to join the member of Christ with, uh, as a member of a harlot. It doesn't elevate the harlot. It, it um, dishonors the Lord Jesus. But Paul speaks in verse 17 now. He says, um, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him, joined to the Lord. Can it be that a former rebel, a former blasphemer, a uh, former enemy of God could be joined to Christ? And the truth is, yes, very much so. To be joined, the Bible dictionary writer says, is to be glued or cemented together when two are unified in spirit, they are truly one. His for only his, I'm sorry, his forever only his, who the Lord and me shall part. Ah, with what a rest of bliss, Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee, firstborn light in gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. Do you enjoy this? oneness of spirit in the Lord Jesus, his understanding, his comfort, his strength. That's, um, uh, those are benefits that we enjoy through being of one spirit. And this is a fourth reason for sexual purity. At this point, Paul interjects a command. He, he has an exhortation weighing on his heart. And so he says in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. There are two large examples for us in Scripture of fleeing sexual immorality or not. The first was King David in 2 Samuel 11. Who was he in this, uh, in this stage of his life? He was a man after God's own heart. Okay? He was special to the Lord. He was used of the Lord. He was uh, seeking the Lord as we... Um, uh, we see in the Psalms, desiring that closer fellowship with the Lord. And uh, 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 and 2, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that Joab, uh, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. There was temptation. David saw. Um, David should have turned 
Um, but instead, he said yes to temptation. He said yes to fornication, to adultery. Because, we read in Mark 7, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So uh, adultery, fornication begins within. It begins from the heart and flows out. And this is, uh, this is something that we see in King David. God offers an escape. Jesus um, phrased it in very drastic terms. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better to um, enter eternity maimed than to, than to go to hell. And in this case, David should have turned his head. A uh, brother years ago um, from Another assembly gave a wonderful devotional on the neck. He said, the neck is a wonderful organ. We can use it to turn our head. <laughs> and he was talking about temptation. He said, when you're tempted, turn your head. Look somewhere else. David should have um, come down from the roof to a safer place. Paul wrote later to the Corinthians, he said, no, temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What was David's sin? He lingered. He stayed. He watched. He, um, he said yes to temptation. He started figuring out how this was going to work, that he'd have sexual relations with another man's wife. He, um, he actually overcame obstacles. There were uh, his servants who said, um, King, isn't this uh, Uriah's wife? And David wouldn't hear it. He stepped over it. So he overcome those obstacles in his pursuit. The result was, as we read, adultery, murder, and it gave uh, great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. David is a negative example. David is, uh, offers us an example of what to avoid. Thankfully, there is an equally positive example in Joseph. Tempted, but responding properly. In um, uh, Genesis 39. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or be with her. But it happened about this time, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, 
and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment and said, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. There is no cowardice, there's no shame in fleeing the good flight. Joseph lost his garment. He left his employment and he, um, he lost his reputation in um, defying that temptation. But he, you know what? He preserved his oneness with the Lord, his closeness with the Lord. He, uh, there's an interesting comment here. Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against you? Potiphar's wife? No. He said, how can I do this great sin and, uh, and sin against your husband? No. Both were true. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph feared God. There are, uh, there are different kinds of fear. In Proverbs 16, verse 6, we read, by fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. When was the last time you were afraid? I mean, really uh, afraid for your life. Maybe uh, um, an accident on the freeway uh, right in front of you or uh, um, an illness that, uh, that laid you low. When were you really afraid of something? What kind of fear was Joseph's? Was he afraid of getting caught? Was that um, what motivated him? I think even the worldlings are controlled by that kind of fear. It wasn't Joseph's. Was it a fear of punishment? Even the demons fear God for his punishment. No, Joseph's fear was a fear of displeasing God. That was his motivation for uh, fleeing from Potiphar's wife. It was a fear of dishonoring him. So Joseph lost much that day, but he retained his communion, his closeness, his fellowship with the Lord. And if we take no other uh, lesson, no other truth from our, uh, our study this morning, please take this with you. Sexual purity comes from devotedness to a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. We, um, we respond to temptation with fear. This is, uh, this is a holy, a wholesome fear, is uh, the displeasure of our Lord and Savior. So we go on to a fifth reason for sexual purity, and that is the self-destructiveness of sexual immorality. He who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What does that mean? It's, um, it's difficult, I admit, uh, for me to understand, but I understand it to mean self-destructive behavior. He who commits sexual immorality is committing se uh, self-destructive behavior. Uh, we see people uh, radically driving on the freeway or in the neighborhood. Um, it's self-destructive. Um, people smoking or injecting in their arms or 
uh, swallowing whatever their friends give them. This is self-destructive. And uh, sexual immorality carries with it, with it the danger of um, STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, and HIV infection. These are sins against the body that, uh, that Paul warns against. How does the world answer with safe sex? You do a lot of precautions. You, uh, you go through all kinds of things to, uh, to prevent the, um, these dangers. The Lord prescribes safe sex too, but it's far simpler. The man with his wife, the woman with her husband. It's safe, it's sanctified, it's honorable, and it's something that the Lord can bless and has blessed as, uh, as we look around our assembly. In Proverbs we read, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and embraced in the arms of a seductress? A sixth reason for sexual purity is the glory of this body. God dwells in it. Paul wrote, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. Again, a, um, a throwback, a look back at the Old Testament temple. We see that um, it was off limits to the common person. It was not to be profaned by any member of Israel. And we're not talking about Gentiles. We're talking about Israel restricted from the temple. And uh, even, um, even among the tribe of Levi, uh, they weren't, uh, most of them were not allowed. It was, um, uh, it was the, the priests and once a year the, the high priest. Why? Because God chose to dwell in that place. He said, I'm going to be here. So it took a special occasion and a special person to enter that holy of holies because God was there. And now um, Paul comes out with this amazing, uh, amazing fact that um, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If that astounds you, it, uh, it does me too. So separate, so consecrated is... Uh, was the temple. The temple no longer exists in, in, uh, in Jerusalem, but uh, God has his temples on the earth. Paul doesn't say your body is like a temple. Paul says your body is the temple. It uh, really should speak to us about uh, abuses 
about um, cigarette smoking and, and uh, liquor. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The final reason that we'd like to raise this morning is ownership and lonership. Paul says you're not your own. You're bought with a price, not out of pocket. God didn't purchase you with, uh, with change from his pocket. He didn't, uh, he didn't exhaust his, um, his earthly resources to purchase you, but instead paid the price of a precious lamb of God um, without spot, the, uh, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're bought with a price, so you're not your own. You belong to God. You belong to the Lord through Jesus Christ. This outpouring of love stirs me to devotion to him. There's a story um, of a young lad who built his own sailboat and um, put it out on, the, on a big lake, Lake Elizabeth maybe, bigger, and um, the boat got away from him and he wasn't able to retrieve it. Uh, so with, it was with um, sadness that he went back home, but great joy that as he was walking through Fremont, uh, later, he saw it in a store. He saw it in a second-hand store window. And he said, my boat. <laughs> so he went in and he grabbed the boat and he started out the store. And the manager said, hey, son. He said, uh, you need to pay for that. And he, he said, oh, no, sir. He said, this is my boat. See? See the paint marks on here? And uh, see the, the things I did on the boat? He said, nope. He said, son, you got to pay for that. Well, the lad didn't have money to pay for the boat. So he went back home and he scraped and he saved and he earned and uh, went back and he uh, went back to the store and he bought the boat. And he held up the boat and he said, you're twice mine. I created you, I made you, and I bought you. The Lord says that about his believers. You're twice mine. I created you. I have a purpose for you. And if that weren't enough, I have bought you with the blood of my own son, with the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're mine. Therefore, our bodies are on loan. He owns us. We borrow these bodies. They're on temporary, uh, temporary loan from the Lord. And it's a stewardship for which we must give account to him in a future day. The hymn writer wrote, I found a friend, oh, such a friend, he bled, he died to save me, and not alone the gift of life, but his own self he gave me. Not that I have, I call my own, my own I call, I hold it for the giver. My heart, my strength, my life, my all are his and his forever. In conclusion this morning, I'd like to uh, warn Rejectors of the Lord Jesus, those who've not come to him. From last week's lesson in verses 9 and 10, fornicators will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's just that plain. It's just that, that clear. And so we ask you, we invite you to come to Jesus. He's already paid your debt. All you must do is to 
Receive him as your savior, accept him as Lord, trust in him, and he will be yours. There's a warning to the believer in the meeting this morning who, like King David, is a man after God's own heart. But he's looking down from his roof at, uh, at um, a woman bathing. The warning is, fear the Lord. Fear his displeasure. Fear his dishonor. The body is not for sexual immorality. It's for the Lord. Therefore, let us glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits, which are God's. Let's pray. We thank you for creating us, Lord. We thank you for um, redeeming those of us who know you. We thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you'd um, bring it home for us as we, um, as we go through this week and um, uh, that we'd encourage others, each other through it. In Jesus' name, amen.